This presentation is from Succeeding in Design 2022, Sydney. So, hi everyone. Um, thanks, Max, also for doing the acknowledgement of country at the beginning of the day. I'd also like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of land throughout country in all of Australia, but for us here at the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here with us today. Um, I come from a Chinese immigrant family and so growing up in between cultures in Australia has meant that I've kind of felt quite disconnected with Australian history and culture. And so it wasn't until the past couple of years where I've learned to appreciate and understand um, the significance of Indigenous affairs and why we even do acknowledgements of country. And so I take every opportunity that I have to recognise my past ignorance and current appreciation and ongoing privilege to be able to call this beautiful land home, although I am very much a visitor. Um, so how are we all feeling right now? Because I'm going to be talking about feelings a little bit and I'm feeling like pretty nervous, but also very excited to be standing in front of you all today at UX Australia's very first Women in UX conference. Um, as soon as I heard that this was happening, I was like, yes, I got to be there. I got to be able to learn from all you wonderful humans in this space. And I hadn't imagined that I'd be on this side of the space, sharing my perspectives with you all. So I'm incredibly humbled to be here as well. Um, and I can't wait for all the conversations that's about to happen too. So as you know, my name's Michelle, my pronouns are she, her. I'm a UX and service designer at a social enterprise called Center for Inclusive Design. As the name suggests, <laughs> we use inclusive design to help our clients better serve their people. So whether that be their customers, their communities, or their staff. Um, and so we breathe that inclusion and equity lens into everything that we do, whether that's products, services, policies, or processes. Today, I'll be sharing a more personal reflection um, on my own career journey, following um, through the trend of what we've seen of learning from each other's stories. Um, but I'm going to zoom in on the things that have helped me find my place as a designer. And I hope that for you, it prompts you to reflect on your own sense of belonging in the industry and also start some conversations on how we can collectively support each other to feel welcome in the industry. So I'll be unpacking some of those things. Um, so one of the top three reasons Yes, <laughs> one of the top three reasons that people resign is because they feel like they didn't belong at their organization. And we know what it's like when you don't fit in, you feel out of place, you're different to everyone else, it's uncomfortable and you feel quite insecure. Um, oftentimes this happens when we're in new places, when we start a new job, when we meet new people, kind of like a fish out of water. Or even when we start a new project and it's all like, well, what's going on? I don't really belong here. And I'm not a stranger to feeling like an outsider. So I sound very Australian, but don't look it. <laughs> 
And so I felt like an outsider um, ever since starting school and not being able to speak very much English. And then the food that I brought from home looked and smelt different to what the other kids were eating on the playground. Um, and to fit in, I studied The Simpsons, Home and Away, and Neighbours, and it worked really well. But one of my most vivid memories from my school days wasn't like getting good marks or anything about playing or skipping school. Um, it was actually a moment where teachers and other kids came up to me to tell me how much they loved the spring rolls and dim sims that I brought in for Multicultural Day. Those dim sims were handmade by my dad. He still does that. Um, but suddenly, our weird cultural food made me feel cool. People loved it. And now look at MasterChef and how celebrated like different cuisines are, right? So I like to see the topic of belonging as this feeling that you have after you've found your place in relationship with the world and the people within it. And I describe it as this feeling of being safe, knowing that it doesn't matter that you're different because your uniqueness is what makes you valuable to the world. This is how I describe the feeling, but belonging is one of those emotional qualities of our human experience that's very subjective. It means something slightly different for each person. And so it can be really hard to describe and therefore define, but there are some things that people tend to agree on when we talk about a sense of belonging and that's feeling connected, feeling accepted as a valued member of a group, which means that underpinning all of that is psychological safety. So knowing that you can trust your group members to respect you and listen to you. So finding my own sense of belonging as a designer at work was a bit more complex than what happened on the school playgrounds. There were no spring rolls and dim sims involved. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'll first explain my sharing where I come from on my own career journey. Um, so, Nicole, I loved your talk because I come from a healthcare background. After school, I got into optometry. Um, my parents were like fanatic. They loved it. It was a great, clean, stable, successful career for a girl. They've won the lotto with me. I felt like something was missing, though, and clinical work just wasn't for me. It felt quite dry. Uh, there was a lot of that black and white thinking. There was only one right answer. And so I felt like there wasn't very much space for creative freedom. So I did a thing and I dropped out of Optom. I was very happy and also stressed because my parents hated this, of course. Um, and it's a rough patch that we can now laugh about. Um, and I won't talk anymore about it. <laughs> um, but I stumbled on UX when I was looking for something that would be able to combine my transferable skills in, like from healthcare, from all the years that I've been in retail, in customer service, in hospitality. My parents run a Chinese restaurant. You might have already guessed. Um, but I was wondering what would combine all of that. 
And some of the things that I thought were quite intuitive and obvious about how to create a great experience, connecting people, making things easier, turned out there was a whole industry for it. <laughs> um, but I was trying to enter the industry with not much and maybe even zero experience in business, no experience in tech and no experience in design. And so that chicken and egg problem happens again when you need to get experience to have experience to get more experience. And so to bridge that gap, I um, learned independently, reading books, articles, did whatever courses were out there and also enrolled in a graduate certificate in customer experience strategy and design um, and completed a short course at Academy XI. My real career started when I became a graduate consultant um, in the Salesforce implementation team in a technology consulting firm, Capgemini. Um, for those of you where Salesforce isn't a name that rings a bell, it is a customer relationship management system. It's, there's a huge building being built out in the city now, housing its growing employees. Um, but I applied to this tech consulting firm knowing that they had just acquired IDN, which is a global design agency, and that's where I wanted to be. But I knew I couldn't get it directly because, again, the zero experience conundrum. Um, on my first project, I got to work really closely with a senior service designer, but I was meant to be a Salesforce BA, a business analyst. And so I'm going to pause on the story there and acknowledge that even though at that time I got my foot in the door into the industry and I worked with some really amazing people who were really keen on teaching me all of the stuff that they knew about design and technology, I felt pretty out of place and I kept wondering whether or not I'm good enough. And that looped again and again. I'm not good enough to be here. I don't belong here. Some of the things that I was saying to myself were, I'm not professional enough. Um, the language that I used was very basic everyday language and I hadn't learned enough of that tech jargon to be throwing it around. So I didn't. I just spoke in simple English. Um, I didn't feel like I was extroverted enough. <laughs> Standing in front of people like this makes me feel like, ugh, very uncomfortable. I didn't feel like I was outspoken enough, charismatic enough to influence people or do these sorts of presentations like I saw my colleagues were doing. I didn't feel like I was qualified enough or that my work was at a high enough standard based on all of the great work that I was seeing other people do. And I didn't feel like I was just doing enough which made me quite burnt out, trying to pack more and more and more on and build more and more and more of that experience. And so what I was actually doing amongst that was I was comparing myself to other designers and other professionals who were many, many years further in their careers than I was. I was just starting out. Um, but I didn't cut myself that slack. I focused on other people's strengths and I saw all the wonderful things that they did, but I could only see my own weaknesses. And we're often our own worst, like, self-critics. 
comparison and negative self-talk definitely stole my joy during that time. Um, but the seeds of self-doubt actually also came from my internalization of external norms and biases. And that's the thing that I really want to unpack with you because biases are a natural part of us being human. Um, we get so much information in this noisy world um, that biases are, in a way, our brain's shortcut to making sense of what's going on. So we like to box people into stereotypes. We like to say, oh, that person's loud. Like, they must love people and be extroverted. But they might not actually be that in their inner layers. We think of engineers and we're like, okay, they must love numbers and going into the details. So again, we bring stereotypes and biases with us all the time. And in a way, that's okay. But what I want to talk about is recognizing these and unpacking them so that you know where your own thoughts are coming from. So part of the reason why I didn't have the tools to express myself confidently in front of a room of people, particularly when it was a room of senior men in leadership, is because I grew up believing that girls should be modest, people-pleasing, and not too assertive. Um, I also internalised the conversations that I was hearing about um, the prejudices of people who had graduated from short courses and the shortcomings of those courses in shaping well-rounded designers. And I was like, oh, I'm one of them. So why do you bring me in when you're talking about them this way? Um, and I acknowledge that, yes, there's always more to learn, but also the stereotypes that we're hearing about different cohorts of people isn't the whole truth. And there's lots of diversity in each of those. So I just felt like uh, I could never learn enough to be qualified because of that. And then my success also felt undermined by the misconceptions people had about diversity quotas. So I wondered, hmm, did I just get hired because I happened to be a woman? Tick. And I also happened to have a background outside of business in STEM, which was also another big tick that people are um, recruiting for as well. Um, and the dialogue around this is, uh, is diversity, are diversity quotas taking away from other groups? And I'm not going to go into that today, but there, it's this whole Pandora's box of, no, it's actually not like that. And we need these quotas until diversity becomes a reality. Um, but that made me think, maybe I wasn't actually good enough to meet the criteria and I just got in because I happened to be stumbling in at a time when there were these diversity things going on. And so all of this self-doubt crippled my confidence and my mental health. And I'm smiling when I talk about it now, but obviously I was not smiling <laughs> in those moments. Um, and so it just led to this vicious cycle of not feeling confident despite the, the amounts of competency I was gaining. So it was disproportionate. And I felt like I had to change so many things about myself just to be able to fit in. Have any of you, have you ever felt like you needed to be something other than yourself to fit in and succeed 
as a designer? Well, you're definitely not alone because there's me <laughs> and all of you nodding um, in this room. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that my differences were actually my unique selling point. Um, so it wasn't spring rolls anymore, but by reframing my positive self-talk in uh, my negative self-talk into positive affirmations, then my unconventional background in optometry was something that was sticky for the people that I met and it helped them remember me. Um, needing time to reflect before I came back to answer any questions because of that introverted, reflective nature of the way I go about things actually meant that I come back to the team with more thoughtful ideas and answers, things that people hadn't thought about before. And that's also brought in from the diversity and background that I bring as well. I looked for mentorship from other designers whose stories really resonated with my own identity. And so I connected with people coming from all walks of life and different backgrounds. And the beauty of our industry is that we do have that. Once you start talking to people, you know that there wasn't a linear step-by-step -step pathway that anyone really went through um, to become a part of our industry. Everyone went through like all of these squiggles to get to wherever they are now. And hearing these stories, just like today, all of these different stories helped me learn about, oh, there's no one right way and I'm not doing it wrong. Seeing is really believing as well, which is why I think we definitely need representation of all communities and all, all types of people in design leadership and in positions of influence. And I couldn't have done it alone. So I got that first project because people knew I wanted to be a designer. And so I had a sponsor who said, you know, you could be the BA on this project. You, you'll be working with two designers. You could just be one of them. And I did barely any BA work on that project. I literally became one of the designers on the project. And because of that project, um, the design manager at that time and the senior I was working with saw, the, saw my aptitude and added for design and moved me into the design team a lot faster than I had anticipated. Um, and then even though I thought I wasn't good enough, after one and a half years, um, I got tapped on the shoulder to go for a promotion. I was like, mm, really? But okay, if I don't get it, then I can learn what I need to do to become better. Um, and I got my current role through a referral. And so I really learned the importance of having sponsors in your career journey, people that believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. Sometimes you only need one of those in your entire career. One of my favorite quotes is, um, and it's questionable where it actually comes from, so I have two names, Old Nightingale and James Keller, but basically a candle isn't dimmed by lighting another. And I was able to shine and grow my skills in this industry and in my role because other people lit my candle up with theirs. And since then, I've become a mentor myself. I joined a platform called ADP List. I think it stands for Awesome Design People List, <laughs> which is it's a 
global platform that aims to democratize mentorship for all designers so that it saves you from going through that awkward LinkedIn reach out if you're like, oh, would I be able to talk to that person? And so it's a listing of a lot of people in the industry who are offering their time to mentor others. Um, and so even if you're not well connected in your immediate circles, you can reach out to someone in San Francisco. You can talk to someone in Singapore who has who's working in a space that you want to learn more about. Most of the designers who reach out to me happen to be women. Um, and the topic that comes up time and time again is imposter syndrome and self-doubt. And it's funny that I'm up here talking about it because I haven't got it figured out. Like I'm still manage, uh, learning to manage the imposter feeling and that self-doubt. And I've heard that it never really goes away. Um, but I know that doubt kills dreams um, more than failure has ever killed dreams. And so one of the ways that I've learned to manage is by doing stuff like this <laughs> and running I Am Remarkable workshops, which um, helps women in underrepresented groups learn about the biases behind self-promotion and help them celebrate their own achievements. And so the lead up to today was actually another one of those moments where I doubted, does UX Australia really want me to speak here? Like, who am I to think that I can be standing up here in front of all of you wonderful people and have something useful to share? So the negative self-talk started again. But I want to sum up the lessons that I've learned from the story that I've just told you in the context of the scenario of speaking today as well. So the first thing was unpacking where my negative self-talk was coming from. Have you internalised external biases? Um, for example, where does your definition of professionalism and success come from? Would you say those things that you're saying to yourself in your head to a loved one, to a friend, to a family member? No. In this context for me, it was ageism. So I was like, I didn't think I had the depth of experience that I needed to be a valuable speaker. Um, but really, at the end of the day, we can influence and inspire people at any point on our journey, um, hoping that there are different elements of my story that have resonated with you today. The second was celebrating my uniqueness, but also celebrating the uniqueness of the people around me and creating this environment where people openly say, hey, I love that wonderful thing that you did. We need more of these types of conversations where we shine a spotlight on the uniqueness that we see in others. And because that spotlight also will shine on yourself. Um, so the affirmation that I told myself today was that I have a unique story to share and there may very well be bits and bobs that you connect with. But, and if that has happened, then I, I see it as a success. The last is uplifting each other, um, which is kind of tied together with what I just said, um, but specifically through mentorship and sponsorship. So I've received a lot of support from others. It took a lot of people to get me to where I am today, both in um, actual tangible concrete ways, but also in emotional support ways. And mentoring others myself has given me the nudge to 
manage that imposter syndrome and self-doubt more. And the world needs more people supporting people. So I can only say that these strategies worked for me based on my own lived experience. Um, and rather than giving you solutions, um, I hope that what I've shared today has helped you reflect on your own sense of belonging in the industry, um, how you can be kinder to your own unique self, and um, remembering that it's not only your inner voice um, critic that you're facing, but also internalisation of external biases that's causing these things. And if you are in a position to bring others up, this is your sign to start today. Um, you don't know who is looking up to you and whose candle needs you to light up. So thank you, everyone.